Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Lord, everybody. Amen. You may be seated. What a privilege, what a blessing to be here today. Thank the Lord. In the beginning of this series, properly on the Word of God, the Bible, the Word of God. The text I begin with is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is a special book, the Word of God. There are all kinds of books of instruction Some of you are old enough to remember Mr. Spock. He told you how to raise a baby. Well, so much for him, his book. I don't think it's in print anymore, probably. There are so many books. You know, last year's medical journal is not not in effect this year because they got some new, new ideas. And so it is with other books like that. I remember some of you as well, the younger group does not, probably. You remember Carol Magruder? We remember uh, Lester and Fanny. Uh, our kid, my kids used to call them mom and dad. Brother and Sister Magruder, a tremendous asset here in Indiana. Brother Carol Magruder, their son, who traveled with Sister Walls and I one year and with me by myself one year. He married a beautiful young lady by the name of uh, Priscilla. Was it Priscilla? Priscilla. She contracted cancer, breast cancer. She wrestled with it for a long time. There were people all over the world praying for her and a lot of prophecies went out concerning her condition. But anyway, there was a, I don't know if it's day or night, of course, but Brother Carroll, Brother, went in one day and found Priscilla in her room, in a room, and she had her Bible. She had laid it down on the floor and was standing on it. She was so weak, uh, probably too weak even to read it or hold it maybe even, but she put the Bible down on the floor and stood on it. And from that, Brother Carol wrote the song, Standing, 
Standing on the Word. I don't know if that's the title of it or not, but that's in essence the book. There's no stronger, more firm foundation that we can build our lives on. It will never let you down. God's Word is final. You know, the, the Mormons, the Jehovah, so-called Jehovah's Witnesses, they have their own book, their own Bible. The Muslims, the Islamic people have their Koran, and others have their own specific and special writings. But their books is like a, I'm searching for the right word, like a comic strip, like a storybook, like a mother goose rhyme, because there's no basis, there's no foundation that which is so uniquely different from their books and this book, this book is filled with prophecies from beginning to end, from Genesis through Revelation. This book is filled with prophecies. Hundreds of them have been fulfilled. Hundreds of them were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Not one prophecy will well. Let me, let me rephrase that. I have the uh, so-called Jehovah's Witness, uh, their book, their Bible, which was written long ago, in which they prophesied that in 1915 or 14, I forget the particular year there, that it was all going to come to an end. 144,000 were going to be saved, and so on, times of the Gentiles. Well, of course, that time came and that time went, time went and it didn't happen. So they had one prophecy in their writings and it didn't work. So the people that lived after that period of time, they had to go back and rewrite their book. So they've upgraded. It's Bible number two now or something like that. But this book, pick out any prophecy you want that hasn't been fulfilled, it's going to be and pick out many that has been already fulfilled. There is no foundation on which we can build our lives that's more firm, stronger, secure than the Word of God. You can rely on it, depend on it. If we don't accept the Bible as being the Word of God, then I'd ask tonight, what book are we going to look to for spiritual guidance? for certainty and surety of tomorrow. I got to checking. It's not in your book, but uh, there are 12, they call them minor prophets, not because they're uh, less significant, but because they are smaller in content mainly. 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, I'm studying one of them in particular right now, but... Out of the 12 prophets, eight of them emphasized that what they were speaking was the Word of God. They were not speaking their own theories and suppositions and ideas because of what was going on in their day. They spoke prophetically. Listen, listen to this. In Hosea 1 and 1, the Word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Joel 1 and 1, the Word of the Lord that came to Joel. Jonah, one and one, 
Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. He should have listened, shouldn't he? In Micah 1 and 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Zephaniah 1 and 1, the word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah. In Haggai 1 and 1, came the word of the Lord by Haggai. Zechariah 1 and 1, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. Malachi 1 and 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So each one established to begin with their writings. I'm speaking the word of God. I'm telling you what God said. It's established. If your life is not established on God's word, you're working, you're working for the wrong boss. Amen. Let your life be. And what, what disturbs me and concerns me so too many times when I see our young people that don't stay strong, don't stay rooted, don't stay grounded, for somehow they let the influence of the flesh and the world uh, pull them away. They many times wind up with, filled with tears and heartaches and frustration because that's what happens in the world. Stay in church. Amen. Stay with the word. Amen. Stay with the Lord. The Bible, Paul said in the book of uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration. You've heard this verse and you've heard it referred to and commented on before. But let me just say a, a few words concerning it. This passage here where Paul said it's by inspiration. This is the only place in the New Testament in which this word inspiration is found. It means God breathed. God breathed. It's not Hosea breathed. It's not Jeremiah breathed. It's not Paul breathed. It's God breathed. It is God breathed. Or, as someone put it in translating or interpreting, divinely breathed. Divinely breathed. There is a verse in the Old Testament, the book of Job 32 and verse 8, where there the Hebrew word is there uh, concerning and translated tra uh, inspiration. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21, the prophet, uh, rather the apostle, said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time, in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, it's quite amazing when you begin to think about it the Bible is so separate, so distinctly different than any other book. I don't care if it's written by some spiritual guru of the Middle East or some monk in a cave in the mountains of the Alps or somewhere. This book is uniquely different. All other books are going to pass away. This one's going to stand forever and forever. Amen. How was it the psalmist put it? Psalm 119. In verse 89, I think it's where it is. Forever, how long? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, the Bible stands separate. It was written over a period of some 1,600 years, we are told, by some 40 different men from various backgrounds, 
Who was it that said he was just a, 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 I forgot what he said he was now, Uh, a gatherer of of sycamore fruit. That's what it was. I was just a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And and the Lord called him. The Bible grew from the first five books and first writer Moses through some 65 or 55 generations until it finally reached the point of Revelation chapter 22. Now, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek at Alexandria, Egypt, around 280 B.C. This translation is called the Septuagint. The Alexandrian tradition divided the Old Testament into various subject matters that are still still recognized by Bible scholars today. There are the five books of the law, um, the 12 books of history, five books of poetry, and 17 books of prophecy. The two testaments complement each other. They verify that each is indeed the word of God. They're somewhat, in my imagination, somewhat like the two cherubims that were on the, mercy, the golden mercy seat that covered the ark of, of the testament, the ark of God. These angels staring down upon the mercy seat from each side. And yet, though they were two, they were not separate. They were all made out of the same gold and uh, same piece of gold, I guess I can call it. The Old Testament and the New Testament share the same truths that the Bible is the Word of God. There is unity. What the Old Testament said, the, the New Testament confirmed. Many prophecies of the Old Testament are confirmed and fulfilled in the New Testament And the New Testament picks up where the Old Testament left off. History is presented from Genesis to Esther in the Old Testament and in the New Testament from Matthew to the book of Acts. Didactically, we have Job to the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament and Romans to Jude in the New Testament. The books of prophecy are Isaiah, all throughout the rest of Malachi in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we got one book of prophecy mainly, and that's Revelation that ties it all together. It's amazing to think about about the unity of the writers, of these 40 different writers. They didn't know each other. Some of them did, of course, particularly in the New Testament. Matthew knew John, and John knew Paul, and so on and forth. But primarily... They were strangers to one another, stretched over this long period of time throughout 40 different men from various backgrounds, writing over a period of approximately 1,600 years. And yet they all wrote in harmony. This is what, to me, just amazes me and really shocks me, if you will, my mind when I think about here is a man that lived let me just, let me say, a uh, hundred years ago, there are, there are writings, prophetic writings, religious writings of a hundred years ago that we disagree with in 2021 because we don't agree with the way they interpret the scriptures. But that's not the case with the Bible. What Isaiah wrote, John agreed with. What Jeremiah wrote, Paul agreed with. 
They all harmonize together. There is a continuity of substance from Genesis to Revelation. There are no discords. There are no contradictions. It is a, un a, a unity of purpose and will and mind, if you will. There is a golden cord that runs from Genesis to Revelation. There is a bloodline that runs from Genesis to Revelation. There's prophecy in the old as well as prophecy in the new. And yet there's never any contradiction from either side. And, you know, we couldn't, they had 40 different writers. We couldn't get 10 different writers to sit down in one place. I've been in those Bible discussions. And you couldn't get 10 of them to agree on one thing sometimes. They were all wrong except me. <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, we think, we're our way of thinking, but they weren't thinking their thoughts. They were writing God's word. And there, was, there is a unique difference. Josephus stated, no one has dared either to add anything to them or to take anything from them or to alter anything. All Jews regard them as the teaching of God and abide by them and would gladly die for them. And another stirring thing is the fact there have been thousands, thousands, thousands that have died for the word of God. Died for the word of God. The Bible uh, that Jesus and the early church quoted from consisted of 39 books, of course, from Genesis to uh, Malachi. And the New Testament grew in a similar manner, but over a much shorter period of time. It was several years after the apostle John moved off the scene that they, the religious leaders, church leaders, got together and decided which books they considered were holy canon and worthy of including in the Bible. And uh, anyway, they decided there 27 books in the New Testament and 39 in the Old Testament. And as you know, there are also a number of books that are called the Apocrypha. If you had a Catholic Bible, they would be included in that Bible. But we don't have it in this because they didn't feel that it was worthy of being included with the writings of such people as Daniel and Paul and Peter and James and John and so on, 66 books. The preservation of the writings that make up our Bible is a miracle as well. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 2, speaking of the Jews. Mercy, much every way, he said, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Unto them. Genesis was written by a person of God that God had chosen himself, Moses, of course. And from that following, it's every book, every book in the Old Testament, all 39 of them written by Jews. In the New Testament, all 27 except two written by Jews. The only exceptions were Luke and the book of Acts, which was written by a Gentile, evidently. So we're indebted to the Jewish people. Again, if we can think, if we could just consider for a moment the uh, 
I'm trying to think the right word to use here, but to think that these writings could be retained, securely kept to the point we know what Moses said in Genesis 1 and 1, or what Moses wrote. We know what Malachi wrote in his writings because somehow through the mercies of God, the word of God was preserved, preserved. You know, there are those that are searching right now for their ancestry. We would like to know what my great, 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 great grandpa Walls said. I don't know if there was a great, 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 great grandpa or not, Walls. But, you know, we got this interest. There are, there are those that would, that would uh, if you'll pay them enough money, they'll try to find your ancestors for you. But to think that all of these years, thousands of years, in which the word of God was written and we still have it, it's intact. If there was anything that was written that was not right or proper, the New Testament would have corrected it. But what, again, Moses wrote in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is verified by the New Testament because Paul and James and, some, and the apostles quoted their writings, quoted their verifying that what they wrote was authentic. Now, we would suppose, I don't know, but we would, I would suppose that Noah took records of his world into the ark with him. Otherwise, how would they be preserved? A record of some 1,600 plus years from Eden to the uh, overthrow uh, and the great deluge. Writings were done in a very primitive way, of course. The Masoretes, or Masorites, however you want to pronounce it, we are told refined and copied the Hebrew scriptures from the 6th through the 9th uh, century. Through dark ages, monks and monasteries copied the word of God, handed them down from generation to generation. And one of the interesting things about the word of God, uh, we remember, I say we remember, we've read in many times, but back yonder years ago, there were some little shepherd boys, one of them threw a stone just out of habit, and it went into a cave, and he heard it breaking something in that cave, and he began to explore what, what he heard breaking, find out what it was, and there were those earthen pots, several of them, many of them, in that Qumran cave, and found out that there were scrolls in those pots, and they became very important and very valuable. But anyway, one of them contained the the book of Isaiah, a complete book of Isaiah. And when, when we begin to hear about and read about these scriptures that were found, some of them were only parts of books, but it was scriptures, the Bible, that had been copied by possibly the Essenes and hidden away in that Qumran cave. Though, that cave. But anyway, when, when we begin to hear about our thoughts our negative thoughts begin to say, oh, how is it going to confirm the word of God? Is it going to verify the word of God? Well, they found one that was the book of Isaiah in its entirety thereabout. And they, that, they were able to unroll that scroll and 
lay it up beside Isaiah in the King James Version of our Bible, and it was identical with very, very few exceptions that proved the authenticity of the book of Isaiah in our Bible. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. So all of the original manuscripts are no longer available uh, as far as we know. They have been lost through the years, except those, again, that were found in the, and those weren't authentic manuscripts. They were copied uh, manuscripts or papers. Landor said, the Bible is a book which, to say nothing of its holiness or authority, contains more specimens of genius and taste than any other volume in existence. The Bible has had a tremendous domestic influence on society. Societies in which the Bible is accepted as the Word of God and families allow it to influence their lives are stronger morally, spiritually than any other family or any other nation. It was said of Timothy that from a child, remember that passage of Scripture? Paul uh, commended uh, his mother and his grandmother, said from a child you've learned, you've been taught the Word of God. The evidence of what happens when the Bible is ignored or kept from society is all we need to do is examine what took place during the Middle Ages, we could call them, after the Church of Rome became powerful and controlled the religious or sought to control the religious world. Millions were killed by the Roman church because they refused to bow to the dogma of Rome. There were those brave people that uh, were brave enough to stand for the word of God. Remember the story about Polycarp? I wish I could remember it verbatim. But Polycarp was evidently a disciple of John the Baptist or thereafter. And uh, they began to persecute him and they brought him to the stake, getting ready to burn him to death. And the old Catholic uh, priest or whatever you want to call him uh, tried to get him to recant. And I don't remember the exact words, but Polycarp said something like 80 plus years, 84, whatever it was. He'd, been, he'd lived for Jesus Christ. He'd been true to him. And I'm not about to deny him now. He's never let me down. I'm not going to let him. I know I'm adding to it. But anyway, that old man stood and died in the fire rather than to deny the word of God and the will of God. No other book had such, has had such a morally uplifting effect on humanity as we have the Bible. Take the Bible away from people, and you're going to have a moral decline that begins right away. Make the Word of God available to people, and a revival of morality will begin immediately. That's the way it works. I remember uh, with uh, preaching a revival, and I went with a pastor to go out and do some visitation, and we met some woman uh, that came out to the car. It was obvious by the way she was dressed. She was not a child of God. But anyway, he, the pastor, I, knowing him, I was anyway interested in the way he talked. But 
Anyway, this woman said uh, something. I don't understand why I have to do this and why I have to do that. She began to name, name certain things, her hair, her clothes. And, and the pastor wisely said, will you come to church and do what you know is right? Let God take care of the rest. Amen. She came to the revival. God baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and became a faithful servant of God, child of God. God takes care of that. People ask, how to dress when you come to church? However you dress when you go to Walmart. Well, don't come in your PJs, but anyway. However you dress when you go to Walmart, it's all right. Doesn't matter how you dress, but I guarantee you, if you'll get them to come, come in their shorts, come in their, anyway, don't let me get carried away here. However they come, if they will come and hear the word of God and come to an altar of commitment, get baptized in Jesus' name, you won't have to worry about how they dress out there because this will change their life physically, morally. Amen? Well, anyway, let me hurry on. I'm running out of time. The 15th century A.D. proved to be a vitally important period for the Bible, the Word of God. You know, the printing press was, was vent, invented in the 15th century. Guess what was the first thing that was printed on it? The Bible. He was a wise old Gutenberg fellow, wasn't he? Anyway, the printing press was invented. The first book was the Bible. The King James Version came in about with much sacrifice, much dedication, and without, without, without the blessings of the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome refused to let the people have the Word of God at their disposal. The Church of Rome said, you don't understand the Bible. You can't understand it. So only the priests, only the church, that church, can understand the Word of God. Hogwash. If you can read ABC and 1, 2, 3, if you can read Acts 2, 38, you can understand what you need to do to be saved. It's that simple. They took 54 men of the most learned during the time of King James. They were chosen for the tremendous task of producing the King James Version, which that's what this is, of the Bible. By the time the work began, some of them had died and others had withdrawn until at the end there were 47 men that completed this tremendous task of, in, of translating um, from the old uh, writings. Most, a lot of it was from the Vulgate and other writings until today we have the King James uh, version of the Bible. From Haley's Bible handbook, Mr. Wycliffe's Bible was A.D. 1382, was the first English Bible translated from the Vulgate. Not widely circulated, but reached the people and was one of the most uh, main factors in paving the way for the Reformation. Tyndale's Bible, 15 and 25, was translated from the original Greek and Hebrew, which was more accurate than Wycliffe's. Coverdale's Bible, 15 and 35, was from Dutch and Latin sources. Roger's Bible in 1537 almost wholly copied from Tyndale's. The Great Bible, as it was called in 1539, was a compilation from Tyndale, Rogers, and Coverdale. The Geneva Bible of 1560 
And then there was the Bishop's Bible of 1586 that was authorized uh, by the church or for the Church of England. And then we have the 1611 version of the King James Bible, which was ordered by King James himself. And for 5,000 years, or 500 years, excuse me, for 500, got too many zeros there, for 500 years since 1611, almost 500 plus years, it has been the household Bible of English speaking uh, people in the world. I know there are other Bibles. There's the NIV, there's the living Bible, but it's not living, it's dead. But anyway, there's the good news for modern, modern man put out by the uh, Bible Society, but it's not good news, it's bad news. There is one, though, that's blood-washed, that's spirit-filled, amen, and that's ordained, and that is accurate, and that's called the King James Version. The King James Version, amen. And I, and I don't care if it's Schofield or if it's uh, Thompson Chain or if it's World, uh, as long as King James Version, you're, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. When we consider the Bible, we're awed that we have in our possession the very words of God. The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblios, or biblos, a name that was given to the outer coat of the papyrus reed in Egypt. Uh, and you remember the story. You've heard it many times or different times, no doubt. Sir Walter Scott, when he was dying, he told his uh, whoever he was, man with him there, his feller taking care of him, said, bring me my book, bring me the book, bring me the book. And his servant said, what book? And Sir Walter Scott, uh, the fellow that asked what book was Lockhart, which was his son-in-law. Anyway, he said, what book? And Sir Walter said, the Bible, the Bible, there is but one. When we speak about the book, there is but one. Amen. We used to top off the Sears and Roebuck book, which we ordered our clothes from. But that's, that was the book to buy some clothes. But I'm talking about salvation. There is but one. There is but one. Amen. Every variety of character and subject is found in this book. It is the only dateless and universal book. And yet it's just one. From beginning to end, the theme is redemption. From beginning to end, the subject is Jesus Christ. Amen. He's in Genesis. He's in Exodus. If you don't believe it, read my book. I'm getting ready to publish. It's everywhere. He's in every book. There is law. There is history. There is drama. There is poetry. There is wisdom. There is prophecy. There is ethic and apocalypse all bound in one single volume. All you need is right here, right here. Amen, 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 amen. One of, the, one of the unique things about the Word of God is the prophecies that's contained in it because no other religious book would dare have prophecies because if they had prophecies, they wouldn't be fulfilled and would prove them fallible where the Word of God is infallible. The Bible contains thousands of prophecies. In fact, God said it's His book. 
And wise is the individual who realizes that you have in your possession the most priceless book that you can have in your existence. What do you think Hitler did when he came to power? He not only destroyed the books of uh, education, the books of people, he destroyed the Word of God, the Bible, the Bible. He didn't want people to be exposed to the Bible. That's why the Roman Catholic Church refused to allow the people to have the Bible in their possession. That's why they killed Tyndale when he translated the Bible into the language of the people. They, they uh, attacked him and eventually killed him because of this. And there are other stories in history that points out those that embrace the Word of God translated from the uh, language, foreign language, the people of the, and into their own common language, the Catholic Church. They were exposed to their erroneous ways uh, and caused people to be converted by the thousands. God's always had a church. He's always going to have a church until the trumpet sounds. And this church is based upon this, the Word of God. Amen. It contains for us the plan of salvation. And thank God. When Ezra was a youth in Babylon, the battles of Marathon, uh, Thermopylae, and Salamis were fought. Pindar wrote his odes, and Aeschylus his tragedies. Confucius inaugurated an age in China. Nehemiah was contemporary with Herodotus, the father of history, and with the great Socrates. Paul was <clears throat> contemporary with Seneca, Pliny, Asatorius, John of Taxitus. The last chapters of the Bible were written 1,900 plus years ago. Its first chapters 5,600 years ago. First chapters, Genesis 1 and 1 and so on. It's an old book, but it's new. It hasn't changed. It won't be changed. It's newer than tomorrow morning's newspaper. Expressions like, hear the word of the Lord, saith the Lord, I heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord has spoken. It was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts. The word of our God, the word of the Lord came unto me. The Lord has spoken. Thus saith the Lord. They are found over 2,000 times in the Bible. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. This is, not to, this is not Dr. Sounding Brass or Professor Tinkling Symbols' theories of theology. This is God's Word. It is the Word of God. There is but one author. There is but one author. Many writers, but one author. And his name is Jesus. God declares it's his book. And wise is the individual who accepts it accepts as being the Word of God. And realizing and accepting the fact the Bible is indeed the Word of God allows us to approach this book with the assurance we'll find the answers to our questions. Psalm 119 and 89 again. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Amen. Thank God. Accepting the word of God 
and obeying the commands that are given in it regarding the plan of salvation gives us the assurance we're going to experience not only personal salvation, but eternal salvation. I like that phrase, and, and, and it stirred me up some time ago when I was preaching for Brother uh, Carlton Johnson in Oxley, uh, where David said in Psalm 145, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. And I got stopped there and hung up there on that expression, two of them there, forever and ever. I will bless thee forever and ever. I will praise thee forever and ever. David, David, what are you talking about? I'm saying this, that when I arise, I'm going to rise in your likeness. When I leave this old world, my praise is not going to stop. It's going to be forever and ever. There's going to be shouting on the street of glory. The word of God's going to be exalted and praised. Thank God for truth. Thank God for his word. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his word. Let's, let's, let's get the word and let's stand on it. What do you say? It'll hold you up in your storms. It'll keep you in your, in your, in your journey through your valley it's the strength. It'll, it'll, it'll buoy you up when you want to sink in despair. Thank God for truth. Thank God for words. Stand with me. Thank God for the word of God. Amen. You won't go wrong in building your life, building your family, built in, in instilling in your children the word of God. The word of God. Let your children hear you praying. Let, the children, let your children see you worshiping God. Amen. Let your children think or know that the word of God is important, yes. is important. Yes. Amen. Thank God for the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.